You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Angie. Angie is a caregiver and mother of three grown children. We'll be right back with Angie, but first, let's talk about Finale. So this is the very last show of the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. I have been producing the show for three years. I love the show. I love doing the interviews. I actually enjoy the editing very weirdly. And I love hearing the stories. And I love how each story is so unique and so connected that we share in this struggle with depression and figuring out what works for us. I would say on that note, it's been incredible. I'm ready to, I guess, not be committed to every weekend. <laughs> uh, every Sunday I go in and plug in the show. and But I think I would like to continue doing the, it as a podcast, but maybe not live on the radio. I think that my my days doing it live on the radio, I think that's that it's been enough. It's been it's been three years. And in all honesty, I am completely indebted to this show because hearing the stories, the little tricks that people have to get through it, <laughs> the just just something about making myself every week talk about my depression and how I'm actually doing. Not how I'm telling people I'm fine and things like that, but saying how I actually feel and my real struggles to all of you. It's like you're my little secret audience. I I was just telling Angie that I pretend that nobody's listening and that no one ever hears the show because then I don't have to worry about what I'm saying. Like maybe my boss would hear it or something. (laughs) And the thing about telling the story, it's like a diary almost. Having to be honest every week about how I'm doing because if you've listened to the show, you know I, I'm a I'm fine person. And being I'm fine all the time makes you not fine, actually. In the long run, you're just not addressing the emotions that are really difficult. You're avoiding the things that are hard. And the show wouldn't let me do that. And I'm probably as mentally healthy as I've been in about six or eight years. And I credit this show doing these interviews, hearing the stories, feeling connected to other people who struggle with depression because the worst of it is the isolation and feeling not isolated, feeling connected to a whole community and how easy it is to find people with depression. (laughs) You know, how many of us out there that there are and knowing that you all do listen and getting an occasional message of thanks so much, it really has helped me. You know, I did the show because I was in a bad place. I did the show because my depression wouldn't, wouldn't go away. And all the things that were supposed to help and had helped in the past weren't helping and doing this did. So I just want to say thank you to downtown radio. Thank you to Jason LaValle. Thank you to all the members of the board. Thank you to the listeners and to the, the depression session guests 
and anybody who listens out there in podcast land, I just want to thank you for the, for participating in the show in all those ways and for letting it be something that happens and that's meaningful. I appreciate that more than I can say. And I want this to be a celebration, not an ending. You know, it was my choice. It wasn't like I was forced off the radio. It's my choice to not do this anymore. And I'm excited to have the, like, like a little more freedom. It's not like one day a week is a big commitment, you know, and really it's not a whole time commitment. It's a half hour show. And so I'm ready to do something else. Maybe another podcast, maybe a different project. But I'm eternally grateful, so thanks. Today we have with us in the studio, Angie. Angie is a caregiver and mother of three grown children. Hello, Angie. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hello. So glad you could be here. <laughs> so what's new with you? What's going on in your life? Well, something that's positive. I found a new place to live on my days off because I've been a living caregiver for the past year and a half, and it's been extremely difficult I've had really no sense of home since mm. I was always at work for, you know, all that time. But I have another place and I'm still, I'm trying to get comfortable. I'm still, you know, moving things in and rearranging. It's definitely better. It's uh, somewhere that my, you know, my kids will actually feel comfortable coming and visiting because the other house was set up for a quadriplegic person. It was really set up for the comfort of the others, which is, you know, fine, but it was very difficult to not have my kids around more. And that's been probably one of the most difficult things about the past three, four years. It's interesting because home is big in my mind these days because my mom is living with me right now and she's moving here permanently. This is no longer her coming for four months and going back to Michigan. She's selling her house in Michigan and building a house in my backyard. And as you can see, some of her things are already here. <laughs> and she's going through old files and paperwork and finding things that I made in second grade. And it's really hard when you're older. And I mean, I think at any time, but as we age, it's harder and harder to make a new home. And then for me, it can't help but feel like a little bit of an invasion, too, of like trying to coordinate and make space and you know, the house isn't sold yet, so the other house isn't built yet. And, you know, we're, we're negotiating what it is to live in the same space. I mean, ultimately, she'll have her own house all set up for however long she ages and whether or not she needs a caregiver. So personally, I'd love to hear more about being a caregiver. It's a really hard job. Luckily, my boss is, he's a really amazing person. And he's, he's just led a really interesting life. And he's extremely kind. He's very thoughtful. Considering how bad things have gotten or have been, he's like, he's been extraordinarily patient with mm -hmm. me. There, there are certain things that he did that would trigger me. And I could actually talk to him and explain, you know, why I act the way I do. And, and he's made a tremendous effort to do things differently. Because he understands that I have a lot of things going on and I can get upset over something that most people would think, you know, nothing of. So that's, that's really good. And it's intensely personal to be a caregiver, right? It is. It is. It really is. Yeah, but you just kind of get through it. I mean, I raised three children. <laughs> I mean, it's different when you're taking care of an adult mm -hmm. who needs you to do everything for them. But it's very humbling and it's also, it's just, it is really rewarding. And I know there, there's not a lot of people that can do it. Yeah. A lot of people just kind of, like, you know, they absolutely wouldn't even try. 
And I understand it's, it's really difficult, but it's also makes me feel good that I can help somebody and make their life more comfortable. And the thing is, even though he's, you know, a quadriplegic and he's probably one of the happiest people I know because he found, he found new purpose. Mm -hmm. And so it's really good for me to see because I still have the use of all my limbs and I, and I know I can get past this. Right. So that makes for a sort of an interesting relationship where you're taking care of someone and in some funny way, they're kind of taking care of you and teaching you something without even trying. Yeah. It's, it's lucky. <laughs> it's, it's very lucky. It's kind of beautiful. You think of a caregiver and you think of it as a very one way activity, but mm-hmm. the way you're describing it, it sounds like it's beautifully two way. <sighs> I think it's a perfect time to ask. So Angie, tell us the story of your depression. Well, I think I wasn't depressed when I was younger. I, ha- I think I just had that normal teenage angst. Well, I wasn't actually diagnosed with depression until after I had been married for a significant amount of time. And a lot of the things that continue to be an issue to this day are just because of how I was treated within the marriage. He made sure I didn't have a support system. That became very clear was he just took away my support system. He he didn't want me talking to anyone. He didn't want anybody to know what was going on. And I, I was just afraid. I was afraid for many years. And it's, it was mainly just a lot of emotional abuse. He really knew how to cut me down. And after a while, you just get used to that. And you think it's because, you know, you're the, you're a bad person or, you know, you, you deserve to be treated like that. And, you know, everything, everything was my fault. Everything was, you know, somehow attributed to me, even though I had, you know, nothing to do with it. I even, I got cut out of my own life, cut out, cut out of my own business. Even, you know, getting a job, it was very difficult to do any of that. I was supposed to be at home with the kids at his beck and call to do, you know, whatever he needed. And that was, that was my job. I was, I became, you know, very isolated there was a long period of time I was agoraphobic. I I didn't even want to leave the house to get groceries. And there are times when I just didn't. And the few friends that still did hang around, you know, if they called or texted, I would maybe text them back two weeks later. But it just it got to the point where, I don't know, I was so miserable. I didn't want, you know, you don't want to go, you know, tell your friends all these horrible things that are happening in your relationship. It's embarrassing. And so I just, you know, completely shut down. I can, I can only imagine how horrible that was for my kids. And it's taking a lot of time even now, just trying to rebuild those relationships. I mean, they're, you know, they're all adults. They're all out of the house. When I do get to see them, I'm just trying to be positive and happy and because I, I feel awful that I wasn't stronger for them when they were little and I can't do anything about it now and there's a lot of damage that their father did lying about me just a lot of things that were just that hurt our relationship or hurt my relationship with the kids and now I just have to you know rebuild from here I guess it kind of it kind of started then when I I realized I needed to get out of the marriage. And that's hard to say because there's, there are so many reasons. There are so many, so many reasons to, to get away from this person. And I just, 
I was so scared and my self-esteem was so low. After I finally had proof of him having an affair, I gave him seven more months of my time. And that's probably one of my, something about me is I give people way too many chances. And I gave him more than anyone else because he was my husband and I thought I loved him. And I just remember that last week that I was with him. I've, I've had a problem with, I've been getting migraines for years. It, it's hereditary, but it was made significantly worse being with him. Now I'm at a point where every so often I'll get a migraine, but I would be down back when I was still with him. It was just, you know, I would be down for three, four days in a row, just completely incapable of getting anything done because I was just in so much pain. And there was never any help or support from him. I would, you know, if I didn't go get water, I would, it, it was, it was me taking care of myself any, any time I was sick. There was just no help. And the last week when I was with him, we had been arguing there were some issues going on. He's very petty. <laughs> and he was um, doing something to meddle with an old business partner of his. He was purposely being petty and destructive just to hurt this person who did absolutely nothing to him. They had been friends for like 26 years and he screwed him over just because he could. We were discussing it. Because it had to do with the business, and I, and I was just like, "It's it's over. Why why lay down your arms? This it's over. It's there's no reason to continue backstabbing." And he just wouldn't. I just realized he just didn't care about anybody. Didn't care about me. Just didn't. And I just remember looking at this person who was not worth my time. A couple nights that week, he had decided to go play poker. And then it was night three, and I said, if you go out, I'm that's it. I want a divorce. So he called later that night and said, well, I'm at poker. And I said, I want a divorce. I was certain that he had no redeeming qualities, and I had put my faith in this person who was only going to continue to hurt me. And he, he refused to leave the house. I had to call the police. The police had to remove him. He kept coming back to the house. In fact, it was a week later. We were having some issues with our daughter. She had run away, and um, we had to go to court one morning. And when I got her back to the house, he, you know, he had left also. She ended up leaving as soon as we got back to the house, and they had said, if she does it again, call the police. So I called the police, and I called him back to the house. And, you know, we gave them a report, and we, you know, tried to find her a little bit. Um, called some friends. and But anyway, there was nothing else the officer could do. And I told him what was going on and that he was still harassing me. And so he stayed until he left, my ex left. So I actually went, I went into my room to just listen to music and, and relax. And, and he came back. He came back to the house. And I was just laying on the floor with my eyes closed. And suddenly there's a tapping on my forehead. And I look up and it's him standing over me. And I was just enraged that he would come back to the house. You know, he kept saying, you know, what do you want me to do? Saying he loved me. And, you know, what do you want me to do? And I said, nothing, it's done. I'm done. And there ended up being an altercation in which I got beat up. And then when he called the police, he said, 
my wife needs an ambulance. You know, she attacked me. So I get an ambulance ride. I go to the emergency room. I have a concussion and stuff. And but then I ended up getting arrested because he said I attacked him when I was just defending myself. And so after spending a night in jail, I was very angry. I was even angrier, but I was even more certain that I was done. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. But here's, here's where (laughs) I'm actually quite proud of this because after, after getting out of jail, I went, um, my parents, you know, picked me up, I showered, I napped, and then I got myself up and I drove downtown and I bought a ticket to hear Citizen Coat play at the Rialto. And that's the first time that I had ever gone there by myself, gone and done something like that by myself. And I was a little terrified because he continued to text me and say, oh, you want to go to that concert? Well, I'll go to it with you. And I'm just like, I just spent the night in jail after you beat me up. And I was really freaked out that he kept texting me. So luckily, the head of security, who's still there, she's very sweet, helped me out, even found somebody to walk me to my truck after the concert. But yeah, you just I just had to have a couple moments of epiphany where you just realize that this is no longer acceptable, and I'm better than this, and I'm definitely stronger than even I thought. So thanks so much for your story. I think people are going to relate to a lot of that. More people than you know. Depression sometimes happens because of some bigger story. And in your case, it sounds like you didn't have childhood depression. You had normally sit up and down with your teenage years. Mm -hmm. But then you got into a relationship where the depression happened because of years of abuse, just slowly chipping away at who you are, really. And I have seen that. I have not personally experienced that. I have had some jerky boyfriends and things, but I haven't had... I haven't had that experience where you're you're staying for good reasons. You have children, you have a marriage, you love your partner, but that things just progressively get worse. But I know that it's it is a story of so many people, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, men and women. I've seen it with men who've been abused, you know, emotionally or physically, and women who've been abused emotionally or physically. The story seems to be first they chip away at who you are. Mm-hmm. And your support networks, like I really related to that, where like your support networks, once once they're gone, mm-hmm. then your ability to gauge what's normal and and really trust yourself gets chipped away at too. Does that make sense? Yeah, I started reconnecting with old friends. I hear quite frequently how different I am, or you're you're more yourself. They notice the difference. Because I, sometimes it just, I have trouble remembering who I was. I have trouble remembering that person and it's really difficult. And then when I see it, you know, when you hear it from somebody that, you know, I've known since I was 15, 16 telling me, I can see you in there, you know, you're (laughs) Angie's back. Yeah. You're still there. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's hard. This this process after the divorce. How long is it been? Three years in September. So I, oh, I spent all of September, going to every show I wanted to go to. I spent a lot of money and I was very tired, but I saw some really amazing shows. Yeah. And I think that, how long were you married then? 
24 years. 24 years. Yeah. And that's, that's marathon. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a long time to be in, be in a relationship where the person is not caring for you. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I, I have to, I ask myself quite frequently, God, how could I have stayed? How could I have stayed? But when they chip away at your, at everything about you and, you, and just no self-esteem, you don't feel like you deserve any better. And especially when I was constantly being told that I was expecting too much. I was expecting kindness. I wasn't expecting what I got. Mm-hmm. And, but no, I, I know I deserve a lot better. And I'm now it's, you know, <laughs> I've become a lot more social. And now I'm surrounding myself with people who are decent human beings and care about me and don't enjoy seeing me in pain. And it's my life is so much better now. Yeah. So much better. Even though it's still difficult and I'm still working through my issues, I have I have a fantastic support system. Mm-hmm. And that's really made a huge difference. And that's why they chip away at your friends because they know that those people are not going to let you get hurt. They get rid of anybody in your life that might say, wait, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah. You And then after a while, you even stop asking for help. And that, you know, that happened to me too. Several times I reached out to friends who, one person I'm thinking of in particular, she actually stopped talking to me altogether. And it was just like, I didn't understand that. But some people just can't handle if you, you know, if you tell them you're in this abusive situation, you know, you needed help and they just ignore you. And it was just, that was very strange for me. And so I was worried about asking anyone else for help because they just completely (laughs) walk away. And, you know, luckily I did, I did have a couple really good, one really good friend. She saved my life literally without her. I wouldn't be here, but she's, I'm not going to mention names. She knows who she is. (laughs) It's interesting because I, when you were talking, I was reminded of a friend of mine who I, I was in my twenties and I really admired her and looked up to her. She was running an art center. She was so strong. She was just one of these like smart, strong, savvy women, a total feminist, awesome, sweetie boyfriend. And I was talking about someone who was in an abusive relationship. And I'm like, how does that happen? And she's like, Oh, I was in an abusive relationship. And I'm like, you were? I was so surprised. And she was very open about it. She said, yeah, she said, it doesn't start out that way. It starts out very sweet. And then they chip away at your self-confidence. And by the time they're doing something really awful, you think you deserve it. It sort of makes sense. It fits in with all things that have been happening over the years. And I was like, wow, you? And I think that that's kind of the, the thing is like everybody... Everybody's living their own. You can look, I have a friend who idealizes couples and says, they're so sweet together. Why can't I find that? And I said, well, not to put anybody down, but like everybody has their struggles. You don't know what it is behind closed doors. And it may be just as wonderful as it is when you see them out and about, but maybe not. I'm sure they have fights. I'm sure they have struggles. I'm sure there are times when they don't want to be together. And then concurrently, it's like, it can be so much worse than that, and people on the outside don't know. No, I understand. You, <laughs> it's it's very difficult to actually admit to people what is going on. Yeah, it's embarrassing, it's, right? It's very embarrassing. But 
these aren't things that I did. They yeah. were things that were done to me. And I was not, a, you know, you, you become a willing participant in your own abuse after a while. And it's like, how, how do you explain that to people? Yeah. How do you explain why you put up with it? You can put up this facade like everything's perfect on the outside. That's why I do the show, because I, I, I always feel like rotting things do best in the sunlight. If you can put things in the sunlight, people can see things more clearly and stop the rot. You know? And that, that with depression, that's all I'm trying to do is shed light on it. It's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. These things happen in life. They happen for chemical reasons. They happen for personal reasons. They happen for biological, like you're, you're you know, I hit my forties and I had some kind of hormonal craziness that I think did not help with depression at all. Mm-hmm. And then you can have situational depression. Somebody dies or somebody abuses you. And it is normal and reasonable to then feel bad. <laughs> but we don't accept that in our culture. Everything should have a gloss on it. Mm-hmm. And I think for your story, like just putting it out there, putting the light on it, and you know that somebody will listen to this and go, Oh yeah, I totally relate to that. Or, oh, that happened to my mom, my sister, my brother, my aunt, my cousin, my uncle, whoever. You know, they'll, they'll relate to the story. And the way that you get out is just enough is enough. And everybody hopefully has that epiphany moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're just like, all right, this is never going to be better. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. what it felt like for you. Like this is, there's no, re- nothing's redeeming in this anymore. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, he, I realized there was no good in him. And I, in that moment, I just realized that I did not love him. I couldn't love somebody who was capable of continuing to act the way he did. And just the the pettiness. And, you know, strangers on the street were kinder to me than my ex. And that's sad. That's really sad. And it, it happens a lot. I mean... Like you said, it's, you know, it's, it's so common. It's, it, it's awful that it's so common. And I feel like the solution is put a little light on it. And maybe we need to stop being embarrassed about these things because they're not our fault. No, they're not. Yeah. And you can see that in hindsight, but in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any kind of words of wisdom if someone's experiencing this, something like this now that you could reflect on that might be helpful? What would you want your past self to know? That it's not selfish to live for yourself. Because I think that's what sort of hindered me. I, I always felt like, you know, I was being I was being selfish, wanting anything better. Mm. But I wasn't doing my kids any favors by being that way. I was, a little self-care is okay. I, I, I don't have to just take care of other people all of the time I have to take care of myself and that's all right (laughs) that is a great way to end the show thank you so much for being on the depression session you're welcome thank you for having me on so that's the final episode of the depression session I want to thank you all for listening to the show tuning in each week I want to thank my guests for opening their hearts and telling such great stories I want to thank Downtown Radio, Jason LaValle, and the board members, and all the other DJs for the fine, fine work that they've all done. And I want to thank all the sponsors that sponsored this show in particular, and who sponsored Downtown Radio in general. It's not a small thing 
to start a radio station and to make it happen. And it's not a small thing to share your stories on the radio for anyone to listen to. It takes bravery. It takes a certain kind of person to be willing to be on this show. And for those of you who would never be on a show like this, thank you for your own struggles and for carrying on and for finding a way through. And you can continue to listen to the podcast on the depressionsession.com. I'll try to do new episodes. If you ever want to be on the show, you can just write me at the website, thedepressionsession.com. You can find it on Facebook. And once again, I just want to say I appreciate you for listening. Thank you. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.